How many of you love God's Word? Amen. 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 I'm thankful that Destiny Church is a church that loves the Bible. Amen. We love the Bible. We believe that it is God's Word, that it's not just any word, but it's the Word of God. Amen. We're continuing our series going through the parables of Jesus. We're calling it Jesus' Favorite Stories. And many of these stories that Jesus would tell, he would tell them multiple times, multiple different places as he would travel and preach. Part of Jesus' ministry, a big part of his ministry, was he was a traveling preacher. We're very familiar with the miracles that he did, but also he would teach and preach the Word of God. And so we're, we're spending some time looking at uh, what is it that Jesus had to, sh- to share in these parables, which are short stories that contain spiritual truth. Now, how many of you ever think about what heaven will be like? Do you ever just kind of think about what's it going to be like when I get to heaven? Will I be skinny? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what, what, what kind of mansion am I going to have? You know, the streets of gold, are they 14 carat or is it a little bit higher? Or, you know, what, what will heaven be like? You know, I found myself uh, the other day stuck in traffic on 410, and uh, I was sort of looking as the sun was setting, and I was just sort of peering out, and I, I, I caught myself just kind of dreaming and daydreaming and thinking about and pondering on what heaven's going to be like. And, you know, being stuck in traffic is just about the opposite of heaven, um, it especially rush hour on 410. And anyway, I, I found myself just, just pondering, just thinking what heaven will be like. And, and I found myself thinking about that more and more as so many of the people that I have loved in this life have now transferred from earth to heaven. You know, my grandparents are in heaven now, except for Josie Hale, who's here this morning. Miracle of God. We thank God for you today. Amen. My grandma is here with us today, and, uh, but my, my grandpa Hale's in heaven, and John Bell and Ruth Bell are in heaven, and my dad's in heaven, my mom went to heaven last year, and I've just found myself thinking about what it, what, what's it going to be like to, to, yes, be with the Lord, and, and yes, be in His presence, and yes, to worship Him, of course, but also to be, as the Bible says, reunited with everyone who's in heaven, Everyone who's gone on before us. And, and I, I was just sort of daydreaming about throwing the football with my dad, you know, just catching up on everything that happened after he left. And, and, and you know, some of you are thinking, there's not going to be footballs in heaven. And, um, well, the Bible, the Bible says there's going to be mansions in heaven. And the only reason you need a mansion is if you got a lot of stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be footballs. There's not going to be any cats. Of that, we are certain. Um, those are, they are unregenerate, evil, wicked animals. Um, they need to get saved, so we know they're not going to be in heaven. But footballs, yeah, sure. So anyway, I was just de- kind of dozing and daydreaming and just thinking about, man, what's it going to be like? Like, like this, is, this is for real. You know, the Bible talks a lot about heaven. And as we get into the parable today, 
what, what we're going to see is that Jesus here is he's giving us a picture of what heaven will be like. He's giving a, a story that, that describes some of the events that will lead up to us going to heaven, to being in heaven with God. And then he also talks about the other place that we don't like to think about too much and we certainly don't talk about a whole lot in churches today, but there is another place. And there's really two places, and we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at heaven and what that's going to be like, and we're going to look at the other place, which is called hell, and what that's going to be like, and, and who, are go- who are the people who will be in heaven, and who are the people who will be in hell. And so we're going to look at Jesus' words on this, Jesus' story that he told about this this morning. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we know that it is true. Lord, the Bible says that there is no shadow of variance or, or turning in you or shifting in you, that, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, that you, you never change because you always speak the truth. And so, Lord, as we come to your word today, Lord, we come with, with humble hearts, eager to hear from you, eager to, to learn of you, eager to, to understand you more and to to know you more, which your word tells us that knowing you is eternal life itself. Lord, prepare hearts to receive. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see what you're speaking and doing in our lives today. Let us not just be hearers of your word, Lord, deceiving ourselves, but let us be people who, who put our faith into action in the world in which we live, the place that you've called us to live today. In Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. So Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. It says, And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And the king sent his servants to call those who had been invited to the feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, one to his business, while the rest of them seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot 
and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So what will heaven be like? That's where Jesus starts on this parable. What's heaven going to be like? He says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a wedding feast. How many of you have been to some, some pretty impressive wedding receptions before, right? He says it's going to be a huge party. The biggest party there's ever been is going to be heaven. Some of you think, uh, you know, that heaven's going to be this very stoic place where we're all just going to sit around and go hum, hum all the time. Or we'll walk around very piously and, and greet each other and, oh, isn't it great to be in heaven? This is not what Jesus says. It's also not going to be just up in the clouds and we're going to be on harps, you know, like little fat babies with wings on, wearing diapers. I'm sorry, that is not heaven, my friend. That's something else. All right, that is not the picture that Jesus gives us of heaven. Jesus says it's going to be a party. Like a king, like a king who throws a wedding feast for his son, the crown prince who's about to be married. Now, I've been to some wedding receptions that were very impressive, and I'm very certain that the bride's parents went into a lot of debt to put on that reception. I've been to other wedding receptions that were very meek and mild, but I've never been to the wedding reception of a prince. You know, a couple years ago, Everyone uh, was watching, you know, with eyes glued to the TV at whatever AM it was when Prince whatever was marrying whoever. I don't even know their names. What are their names? Henry? Harry? Prince Harry? I'm, you know, I'm not British. I'm an American, so I don't really care what they're doing over there. But anyway, a lot of you people are very enamored with all the royalty and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it's... Like, that was a huge deal. It was a huge party. It was, you know, all of the people that were invited, you know, they came in and they were seated in these places of honor. Now, imagine if all of those very prestigious people had just decided to not show up. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm a little busy. That's what Jesus says that that. that it's like when people, they, they don't come to the wedding. They don't come to the party. But Jesus says heaven is going to be this huge party, this huge celebration. Now, that's hard for some of us to imagine because we equate partying with ungodliness. We equate partying with sinfulness. And, and you know the kind of parties that, that you've been to, and so you think, how can, how can heaven be like a party? It, it's going to be the, the greatest celebration of God. He's going to be the center of the party. It's not going to be sinfulness and debauchery and wickedness and idolatry and revelry. It's not going to be all of those ungodly things. It is going to be this celebration of God and his victory over Satan. Amen. 
Amen. It's going to be God and celebrating his love that he has for us. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be pure. It's going to be amazing. And God wants you to be there. There's going to be this huge banquet table. And at the very end of the table is going to be the Lord Jesus himself. With nail-scarred hands, nail-scarred feet. There he will be serving as host to this huge wedding party. And who's going to be seated at this table? Well, it'll be the disciples, right? The disciples will be there. Abraham's going to be there. King David, Noah. Man, and then way down at the very end, by the grace of God, I'm going to be sitting down there too. And every one of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have, you have a seat at that table. There's a, there's a name card at, at your seat with your name on it. Not a, not a generic, you know, just other guests over there. No, there's a, there's a specific place with your name written on it if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. If he's the Lord, if he's the savior of your life, if you've repented of sin and, and trusted in him and put your faith in him, there's a place for you at that table. And I, man, what's it gonna be like? All the great people of God, the great men and women of God, you know, Martin Luther's gonna be there. Man, I, I just can't wait to go and say, what was it like when you nailed the, your 95 thesis to the door? Did you have any idea what was about to happen? What was it like, Noah, when you were building the ark and it took you 100 years, even though you had never seen rain before? What was that like? Peter, what was it like when you, when you t stepped out of the boat and you began to walk on water? Tell me about what that was like. Abraham, what were you thinking when you, when you slept with your wife's handmaiden? What, like, what a disaster that was. <laughs> Jacob, what was it like when you wrestled with God? Abraham, tell me, how did, how did you have enough faith when God tested you about offering your son Isaac as a sacrifice? How, what, what was going through your head to, to have these conversations like, like, think about the, the best possible family reunion. I know some of you, you hear family reunion, and to you that doesn't sound like heaven, it sounds like the other place, but imagine if you loved everybody at your, in your family, and imagine if your family was full of just the most godly people who have ever walked the planet, and, and you were coming together to just celebrate that we're all a part of God's family. You know, sometimes like when we have missions conference and, and, and the, these pastors and missionaries come in, sometimes people say it's like one big family reunion, you know? But think about getting to, to get to know for all eternity every saint who's ever walked the earth, every person of God, and, and to hear their story and to hear about how God was faithful to them each and every step of the way and hear about how the... the the challenges that they faced in the world. Because Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but that we don't have to be afraid that we can take heart because he's overcome the world. So we get to hear everyone's story 
You get to share your story about how, yes, this is what Satan tried to do in my life, but let me tell you about how God was faithful to me. Let me tell you about how Jesus overcame the world in my life. It's going to be awesome. And it, it will never end. It will be for all eternity to, to see those that we have loved seated next to us at the table. Man, what, that, what that's going to be like. How incredible that's going to be. This is what Jesus says. Heaven will be like. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his sons. He goes on to talk about the kind of food that they're going to serve there. He says, my oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered. Man, I can smell the barbecue already. What's, what's heaven going to smell like? It's going to smell like Bill Miller's barbecue, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's going to smell like bacon. It's going to smell amazing. Some of you guys think, oh, what's heaven going to be like? It is going to be the greatest barbecue buffet you've ever thought of. Amen. Thank you. I could, I could have used a little more support on that. <laughs> Amen. But we also see in this parable that there will be those who are not at this reunion. Jesus, the, 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 this parable, let me, let me just give you a rundown real quick of, of who these characters are. The king is God the Father. This is who the king is, Father God. The son, can you guess who the son is? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus, the son of God, the prince the servants who are sent to, to call. These are the, the, the Old Testament prophets, New Testament preachers. These are the people who, who go and compel people, re return to God. There, there's a wedding feast. There's, there, there's, there's heaven prepared for those who will come and honor the Son. And we, we see in the, the Old Testaments that the, the prophets, the, the servants, the messengers who went out from God the Father were mistreated by God's people. They were ignored. They were laughed at. They were even murdered. The, the John the Baptist, who was uh, really the last Old Testament prophet, I know his story's in the New Testament, but he... He comes after the tradition of an Old Testament prophet. The final one, he's beheaded by King Herod, the king of the Jewish nation. He's, he's killed by the king, King Herod, because he preached repentance of sin and he preached righteousness and they didn't want to hear it. And so they killed them. They killed God's messengers, Jesus Jesus, even the Son of God, we know that he was killed and murdered. You see, when, when they reject the invitation, they're essentially rejecting the Son of God and ultimately God because the Son represents God and Jesus is God. And I want, you, I want to show you the patience of God. Even though he had called them once, even though he had prepared them and said, hey, this is what's going to be happening. Huge party, 
awesome celebration. You can come freely. I want you to come. You're all invited. When it came time for the feast, no one showed up. How much disrespect and dishonor do you have to have for, for, for the king that you, you won't even show up to his son's wedding feast? It, it shows you that, that you, they are not interested in the king. They, they don't want a relationship with this king. But look at God's patience and mercy. He says, call them again. He sent other servants. And it's not that they could not come, it's that they would not come. In Luke chapter 14, there's a parallel telling of this story. And it says in that uh, parallel telling of the parable that the people who were called began to make excuses. One guy says, I just bought a field and I have to go and look at it. Well, let me tell you what, the field would be there after the wedding party, right? Like, what is going to change in a field in a few hours? Nothing. It's a flimsy excuse. Another one says, I, I bought some oxen and I need to go check them out. One guy says, I have married a wife and I can't go. Why would being married preclude you from going to a wedding feast? It, it, it's flimsy excuses. They, they have no reason that they cannot come. They simply do not want to go. They don't think much of God. They don't think much of his son, Jesus. And, and in this parable, if, if you go up into chapter one, the end of chapter one, Jesus is speaking directly to the Jewish leadership of his day, the Jewish leaders of his day. And he's giving them a warning. He's saying, look, I am your Messiah. I've shown it to you clearly. I've told you plainly. Do not reject me. And we see what happens is that they did reject him. As the story plays out, it, when Jesus is being put on trial uh, to be crucified after the Jews had rejected him, in John chapter 19, it says it was the day of preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. Pilate brings uh, Jesus out and presents him to uh, the Jewish nation. And he says, Pilate says this, behold your king. Pilate says, here's the king of the Jews. Look upon him. See him. Behold your king. And listen to how the Jews responded. They cried out, Away with him and crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. What a rejection of God. What a wholesale rejection of who God is, his plan for the Jewish people. They completely rejected their Messiah, we have no king but Caesar, they said. So Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. In John chapter 1, verse 19, John writes about this. He's speaking of Jesus as the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the, into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
Think of the tragic state of the world that does not know their creator. So Jesus, he came to his own people, the Jewish people, and his people did not receive him. And then there's a but. And I'm so thankful for these types of buts in the Bible. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus comes. He comes to his own people. He he presents himself as the Messiah through his works and through his words, and they completely reject him. But to anyone who would receive him, who would believe in his name, he has given the right to become a child of God. You see, God is loving and God is patient and God is merciful. And so time after time after time after time, he sent his messengers to his people. Please return to me. Please come back to me. You're heading the wrong way. Repent and return to me, your God. But they refused and they hardened their hearts and they murdered God's messengers, ultimately murdering God's own son. And there comes a point where where God's mercy and his his patience runs out. And what is left at the end of God's mercy and God's patience is only God's justice. There comes a point where God will no longer allow sin to continue. Yes, God is a God of love. Yes, God is a God of patience. Yes, God is a God of mercy. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow may be the day where God's patience runs out, where your time is up, and instead of God's patience and mercy and love, you stand before God and receive his justice. It says that their city was destroyed, and we know That in A.D. 70, God used the Romans to destroy Jerusalem as an act of judgment against Jerusalem for their murdering of the Messiah, for their murdering of the Son of God. Jesus foretold that Jerusalem would be destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. The temple was destroyed. It has never been rebuilt because we don't need a temple anymore because Jesus is our temple. Amen. Jesus now is the place where God's presence dwells and resides. He has gone into the Holy of Holies. Through him, we have access to the presence of God. We don't go to a holy place. We go to the holy person. And we can experience his presence anywhere and everywhere, wherever we are, at any time and at any place. And here's what I want you to see. When, when the, those invited don't come, God says, we'll extend my invitation to anyone and everyone else. And that's me and you. It says, invite the good, invite the bad. That's me and you. It could have been like a Western if he would have said, and the ugly, but it was just the good (laughs) and the bad. Invite the good and the bad. In in Luke chapter 14, the, the king says, compel them to come in. Compel them to come. 
And so if you're here today and, and, and you don't know Jesus, you don't serve Jesus, you haven't given your life to Jesus, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I'm here to implore you. I'm here to compel you to come to Jesus. There's a banquet for you. There's heaven for you. There's forgiveness of sins for you. God has opened up grace to all of humanity. We live in an age of grace. We live in a time of grace. Come to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Do not reject the Son. Do not reject the Son of God today. The second half of the parable Jesus talks about someone who, who came into the wedding feast wearing the wrong kind of clothes. It says the king went and he was looking at the guests. It says the wedding hall was filled and the king was looking over it and he was so happy. He, God wants his house to be filled. God wants heaven to be filled full of people. And as he, he looked around, as he surveyed, it says that he saw someone who was not wearing a wedding garment. Now, what is this wedding garment talking about? It's talking about how we, as God's people, who have given our life to Jesus, who have put our faith in Jesus, who have turned from sin and trusted in Christ, how we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is the wedding garment. It is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, Isaiah writes, he says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and a bride adorns herself in jewels. That if we have put our faith in Christ, he has taken our sin, he has taken our shame, he has taken that upon himself. And he who lived a sinless life in exchange gives us his righteousness, gives us his perfection, his holiness. It is charged to our account when we put our faith in Jesus clothed in his righteousness. But what we see is that someone thought that they could come and stand before the king not wearing the proper attire. And it will be like those who think they can stand before God on that day of judgment on the basis of their good deeds, on the basis of their good works, on their basis of their charitable actions, on the basis of their own righteousness. There are many today, if you will ask them and say, hey, what, what do you think is going to happen if you stand before God? And, and he, he says, why should I let you into heaven? They will say, well, I lived a pretty good life. I helped old ladies cross the street. I didn't cheat on my taxes. I only cheated on my wife a couple times, so I'm a pretty good person compared to everybody else. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter six, uh, 64, verse 6, that all of us are like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Before God, 
Our righteousness is like garbage. You cannot stand before God based on your own moral accomplishments. They will not stand in the face of the perfect, holy, and righteous God. The only way to stand before God on that day is to be clothed in a righteousness that is not your own, to be clothed in a righteousness that was purchased for you 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ when he willingly went to the cross in your place and paid the price for your sin. The only way to stand before God is to not stand in your own righteousness, but to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And this is a much needed warning. This man thought he could get in on his own efforts and merits. And my dear friend, you cannot. If we are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we will stand as this man stood, speechless before God. Romans 5, 6, and 8 says that while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, Jesus died for you, friend. He died to pay the price for your sin. All of the sins that you've ever committed in your life, all of your rebellion against God, even the sin of pride, thinking that you have right standing before God based on your own moral efforts and deeds, Jesus paid the price for that sin too. And he promises to give eternal life, forgiveness of sins, his own righteousness to everyone who would call upon him. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. The issue in this story and the issue before you today, the issue of your life is, what will you do with Jesus Christ? This is the issue. In this story, we see there are those who rejected him, who paid no attention to him, who wanted nothing to do with him. And we see what happened at the end. The king said, bind them hand and foot and cast them into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus here is talking about hell. Hell is an incredibly difficult topic to talk about. Nobody enjoys it when the preacher wants to start talking about hell, especially the preacher. Many today view teaching on hell as taboo or unloving. Let me tell you something. Who was the most loving person who ever lived? The Lord Jesus, of course. Do you know who, is, who, who in the Bible taught more on hell than anyone else? Jesus. How can that be? How can it be that the most loving person who ever lived is the one who talked the most about hell? It's because Jesus' love for humanity is what compelled him to talk about hell. You, you cannot accept the Lord Jesus without accepting what he taught about heaven and hell. You can't accept the Lord Jesus and then reject his teaching 
Jesus love, he, Jesus knows the truth. J- Jesus understands very well that at the end of our lives, there is one place that we will go. And in the one place, there are two options. There's heaven and there's hell. And so Jesus comes and he warns and he pleads and, and he gives a, a, a graphic descriptions about what hell will be like because he's compelled to reveal the truth because of his love. He describes hell in great detail. Jesus says hell will be a place of eternal torment. He says it will be a place of unquenchable fire where worms do not die. I don't know. That just sounds yuck. That people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret from which no one will return. And he calls hell a place of outer darkness. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. And he describes it with much more vivid words. There is no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. The issue is, what will you do with Jesus? That's the issue. For those who receive the Son, for those who receive the invitation to the King, there's heaven awaits. There there, there is a, a party awaits that we cannot even imagine. It's eternity in God's presence, celebrating His love, reunited with those that we have loved who have put their faith in Christ. This is what awaits the people of God. But Jesus is very careful to say that there is a place that awaits those who have rejected Christ. Those who reject me and reject the truth and do not want anything to do with me or my Father in heaven, there is another place reserved for them because God is a God of of justice. And on the cross, Jesus took God's justice for his people. The justice that you and I were deserved because of our sin, Jesus took that on himself willingly. And you too can have Jesus' work on the cross applied to your account if you will put your faith in him. Your sins forgiven, new life bestowed upon you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But for those who harden their hearts, who reject God, who shake their fist at Jesus, there is only God's justice that remains for you. And so I, like the servants in the story, I I plead with you today. I plead with you to come to Jesus. I want to compel you today to turn away from sin to turn away from a life of rebellion, to turn away from a life of going your own way, to turn away from running away from God and to turn towards God who is gracious, who is merciful, who is patient, who is loving, who has made a way for you to be saved, who has made a way for his riches to be applied to you and to your life. The, the, the contrast between these two options, it, it could not be greater. The decision that lies before all of us 
This is a decision that we all have to make. It's a decision. What am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with the Son? Am I, am I going to honor the Father by receiving the Son, or am I going to harden my heart and reject Him? Do not reject Jesus. Do not reject Jesus. Do not presume upon the grace of God either that, well, I'm just going to live my life now, and then I'll come to Jesus. Listen, you're not living if you don't have Jesus. The Bible says that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That to truly live, you have to be made alive in Christ. You have to forsake everything of your life of death and sin and shame and turn completely and embrace the cross, embrace Jesus, embrace your Savior. He died for you. He shed his blood for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free, so that you could be alive in his presence now and forever. And so I, I want to invite our, our worship team to come and uh, I, I want to pray with you today. I know that this is not the kind of sermon where we go out and we're high-fiving each other because, wow, the preacher talked about hell today. But I hope that you see in this that it's not that I woke up this morning and said, hey, I think I want to talk about hell. The, the, the truth is that I, 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 in my flesh, this is not something I enjoy talking about. But I hope that you see that it, it, it's not my idea to talk about this. That, that these are the words of the Lord Jesus. I, I hope you see that. I hope you see that it's, it's not just some idea that, you know, the Catholic Church came up with or some idea that, that, you know, political systems use to try to get people to do what they want. This is the words of the Lord Jesus. These are the warnings that, that he gave to, to compel people to turn from, from, from heading down a pathway that leads to destruction. Jesus said that the, the pathway to hell is wide. It's easy to go there. He said the pathway to, to heaven, to, to eternal life, it's very narrow. There's only one way. But the incredible news, the incredible news is that while it is very narrow, while there is only one way, it's open to everyone. The invitation's open to anyone and everyone. It's not that, oh, I got to clean myself up before I come to Jesus. No, my friend, you cannot clean yourself up. You must come to Jesus, and he will change you. He will give you his spirit. He will give you a new heart. He will change you from the inside out. 